Father, you are so, so good to each of us. Your word says, behold, what manner of love the Father has poured out on us that we should be called children of God. And Father, I, I am just beyond myself in understanding that you, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, our King, our God, our Lord, our Savior, that you call us your children. And you invite us just to come to you anytime with anything and that you are always with us, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. What an amazing gift, Lord, that you've given us. I am so, so grateful. I pray, God, as we seek you this morning, that you would guide us, that your spirit would teach us, that your word would be alive to us. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, John, I think, did a fantastic job for us in chapter 11. Don't make faces. Um, <laughs> as we went through the hall of faith. He reminded us that those who have a flawed faith, this is kind of my take on it, but those who have a flawed faith do not necessarily have a failed faith. And I appreciate that because I don't know about you, but I have a flawed faith. And I can give you an amazing example of that. Um, throughout the course of my doctorate, I never really got anxious. I never really got worried. I had work to do, and I went after it. Like I said, so much help, so much support. The moment I got my defense date, I started freaking out. Oh, big time. I, I, last week, or this week, I guess, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and most of Thursday, I had a continuous panic attack because I was like, and over and over and over and over again, God kept assuring me, both through his word and his spirit speaking to me, it's going to be okay. I know, but, but, and he's like, I'm like, what if the internet goes out? Do you have backup anyway? Or what if, what if I lose my notes? Well, print the notes, you'll have extra notes. But what if, what if, what if my, just, I was, it was nonstop. I didn't sleep. It was bad. It was, a, it was bad. And then I got there and I got done and crying and my wife, she, we're crying because she, she was here with me while I did it. And, um, and he was like, see, I know, <laughs> I'm sorry. We're studying David in first Samuel was an amazing example of the very same thing, right? A man who God said is a man after my own heart. How many times did he mess up? Oh, so many. And some of them, huge adultery and murder and disobedience and a lack of faith and all of this stuff. Yet God called him a man after his own heart. Was he a man after his own heart because his faith was perfect? He was a man after, his own, after God's own heart. Because even when he blew it, he came back. As the Holy Spirit led him, he would repent and he would follow after God. And so our faith can be bolstered as we read about the faith of others. Not just the good things about their faith, but also when their faith fails. Because I think that helps us to realize we're human too. And there's going to be times when our faith 
fails. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this week. Uh, so this week, we're going to get back more to the practical application of the book of Hebrews as we make, make a connection between looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and the discipline of the Lord. Uh, at, at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 39, it says, All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Right? As we look throughout the Old Testament, they looked forward to the promises of God. Right? They looked forward to the coming Messiah. They looked forward to the fulfillment of prophecy. They looked forward to all of this, but they didn't get it because they had to wait till Jesus showed up, right? lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again. Once he did that, then the promises were available. But God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And so the reality is, is they waited. Right? They waited in a good place. The Bible calls it Abraham's bosom, but they waited. And then after Jesus' death, he went down and told them that everything they believed was coming to pass. And then at his resurrection, he led them all into the presence of God, where one day when we die, we'll join them. Well, those of us who are believers. And I'm excited about it. I don't know about you, I'm excited about that. And therefore, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I find that to be so, so beautiful. Therefore, because of everything we read in chapter 11, right, we have this great cloud of witnesses, these giants of faith that came before us, not these giants who had perfect faith, but they were still giants of faith. And there are three things that we should do, and we're given the reason why in these opening two verses. Number one, lay aside every weight or burden and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And I love that word ensnare because it means to thwart or to stand in our way. So we are to lay aside anything that will stand in our way. When we are hindered by our sin, we cannot run with endurance. When we are free from those burdens, we can't. Therefore, we must deal harshly with sin in our lives by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. We do this, of course, by repenting of sin, receiving God's forgiveness when we need to. 1 John 1.9 talks about that. And then we deal harshly with that sin by not giving any place to it in our lives. This is what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, should we literally be plucking out our eyes and chopping off our hands? No! 
That's not the point Jesus was making. Because if I did cut off my right hand, do you really think I'm less capable of sinning with this one? Right? If I did pluck out my right eye, you know, my left eye still sees pretty good too. I can sin with that one just as well. So what's he getting at? He's getting at deal harshly with your sin. Deal harshly with it. Don't play with it. Don't get close to it. A pastor that I enjoy listening to and reading, Craig Groeschel, he once said, and I thought this was a brilliant way to approach it, he said, move the line. Move the line. Because one of the things that we like to do as human beings, I don't know about you, I know you guys are all better than me, but something that I like to do, um, I, I shouldn't admit this in public, but I do it, um, is I try to see how close to that line I can get. Right? You know, so, so if the line's right there, that, you know, that, if I cross that line, then it's sin. And I go, I haven't crossed it yet. My foot's not on it. Okay, maybe one toe's over. But that, that's it. Just one toe. Okay, I'll only put one foot over there. Don't worry about it. And then the next thing you know, what happens? Well, you're done. You've fallen into sin. This is what James warned us about. We are told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, to not give the devil an opportunity in our lives. We are warned in James chapter 1 that we need to endure temptation. And we are told in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and Galatians 5, 9 that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, just a little sin will have far-reaching consequences. And we see that. Oh, it, it's not a big deal. I'll just, I'll just compromise a little. right? We never say it to ourselves that way, do we? Do you ever do that? Well, I'm just going to sin a little bit, right? And then it'll be okay. No, we don't do that. We start to justify it. Well, I deserve this because I've had a hard week. Or I deserve this because my spouse was mean to me. Or I should be allowed to do this because, well, I'm a man of God. I can get away with anything I want. No! That's not how it works. That is not how it works. And if you've been doing this for any length of time like I have, what you will find out is that stupid little idiotic thing that you give into will wreak havoc in your life. It'll wreak havoc in your spiritual life. It'll wreak havoc in your emotional life. And eventually, if you don't stop, it'll wreak havoc in your physical life. It will kill you. That's what James tells us. Right? People get this idea, well, God tells us not to sin because he doesn't want, to have, doesn't want us to have any fun. Or because he's trying to hold me back from living my best life. But we have to understand his way is the best way. His way is the right way. He only wants what's best for us. The way any good parent does. And we are, when we are not living out his best for us, right? not the world's best or my best or our collective cultural standard of what's good or what's success or any of that garbage, but his idea of what's best for us. And for any of us who have been walking with the Lord for a while, we know the difference, don't we? I know what my life looks like when I'm living his best, and I know what my life looks like when I'm not. So that's 
why we deal harshly with sin. God gives us the power to get rid of these things, to lay aside these burdens which will hold us back. And we're not laying them aside because God's a big cosmic killjoy. We're laying them aside because he wants us to live. He wants us to live the abundant life that Jesus died and rose again to give us. Oh, what a glorious thing. We have to lay that aside so we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. Once we lay aside those things which are holding us back, then we can run with hopeful, constant, patient continuance. I love that. Hopeful, constant, patient continuance. And we can run the race that God has called each of us to run. In Galatians 5, 7 and 9, Paul writes, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I just talked about that. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So, several years ago, I had, uh, it was a bad idea, but it was fun, and I did a bunch of Spartan races. I ran three races in two weeks, two of them in the same weekend. The first weekend that I did two races, nine miles and then five miles the next day, um, I was tired on Monday. But the race on Saturday was interesting. It was in Pueblo. It was about, what, 95 degrees on an absolutely cloudless day, and there was no shade on the course. It was bad. I would stop every, probably about every mile and sit for 15 minutes. I'd go find a bush to lay under, uh, anything I could find, and I would just drink and drink and drink. And I had little electrolyte tablets because I was sweating so much. I ended up giving other people some of my electrolyte tablets because they were cramping up and trying, and were about, it was about to quit. I mean, it was awful. It was just awful. But this is what happened. Over and over and over and over again, I was watching people as I continued get carted off. They'd send a golf cart down with EMTs to take them back up because they had heat stroke or they were so severely dehydrated that they were cramped and they couldn't move over and over and over. Now, it was not my great training or my supreme physical prowess. I looked about like I do now. Um, the difference between me and them was I made sure I was drinking enough and I made sure I had electrolytes in my water. That's what got me to the end. They were foolish. Many of them. I talked to some of them. And they were like, well, I just, I thought I could get through it without drinking any water. I'm like, what, are you dumb? You, you shouldn't get through a normal day without drinking enough water, let alone 95 degrees of blazing sun and no shade. How did you think you were going to get to the end without water? Well, I don't know. I just thought I could make it. Uh-uh. That's the difference. That's the difference between running with endurance the race that is set before us or letting something that hinders us keep us from finishing. That's the difference. Now, in our analogy, not drinking water is giving in to sin. Hmm. Because Jesus said in John chapter 7 that he is the living water and that when we partake of him, out of our lives will flow torrents of that water. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, we can't do this on our own. 
We can't do this without him. We can't do this without each other. And I'll tell you what, if you see something in my life that's hindering me from running the race, I want you to tell me. Because I'll make you a promise. If I see something in your life that's hindering you from running the race, I'm going to tell you. It's not fun to do. I know. It's not fun to hear. It's not fun to say. But that's part of why we are a family. Because in the end, I want all of us to cross the finish line together. With me, just one step ahead of everybody else, because you know how much I like to win. But still, I want us all to cross the finish line together. And then we do this by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I love these two words. Jesus is the one who originates our faith, and he perfects our faith. He is the beginning and the culmination of our salvation. And in order to lay aside our sin and to run our race, we have to look to him. The word for looking unto Jesus, that word for looking is apuraho, and it means to attentively consider. To attentively consider. In other words, we look at who Jesus is. We look at how he lived. That's why we were given the Gospels. So we attentively consider him, and then we follow after. Again, we don't do it on our own. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we're going to look to him, the one who started and culminates our salvation, then we're going to live like he did. We're going to love like he did. We're going to serve like he did. Are we going to do it as well as he did? Uh Uh-uh. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to try. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, that word if there really should be translated since, since you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The reason I love that verse, and many of you probably remember this little cliche Christian saying from a while back, um, wow, you're so heavenly minded, you won't be any earthly good. Anybody remember hearing that? I remember when I first got saved, right? And, and this was, if, I don't know if many of you remember this, some of you are a little young, but there was a time in the past when we didn't have cell phones. <laughs> and so we had this little box at home that would answer if somebody called the house. And you'd get home, and you'd have to be a little flashing light, and you'd have to see who called you and who left a message. You actually wouldn't be communicated with, sometimes for hours, because <laughs> you weren't at home and near your phone. Can you imagine it? The dark ages, for sure. And so I remember when I first got saved, we had our little answering machine. We had, we had just gotten married. And on that answering machine, I... Um, I quoted a proverb, and I can't remember the address, but there, the proverb says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, right? It was real positive back then. Um, and I put that on my answering machine, uh, and then I said real quick, I was like, hi, you've reached Jason and Leah. Proverb such and such says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but, but it's, it's the way that leads to death. I said, the only way that leads to life is Jesus. Please leave a message after the beep. That was, that's what my answering machine said. 
And I remember one time my dad called and he got angry with me. Why would you put that on your answering machine? Why would you say that? Everybody who's called has got to listen to that. I bet if you called your pastor phone, he, his answering machine doesn't say that. And he just went on this rant about how stupid I was for having this on my answering machine. And then he said, you know, there are some people that are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. <laughs> and I said, you know, oh, I, I didn't argue. I was a young Christian. My dad and I didn't have the best relationship, as you all know. Um, but as time went on, I, I heard this verse, and I actually heard it preached, and the pastor said, you know, it's possible to not be heavenly minded enough to not be any earthly good. If our mind is not set on Christ, if we are focused on the things of earth and not the things above, if we are not looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, I will submit to you that we are going to be worthless here. I don't want that to sound mean. I don't want that to be cruel. But if you are not following after Jesus, if your mind is not set on him, then how are you going to live out the purpose that he's given you? How are you going to live out the calling that he's placed on your life? How are you going to use the gifts that he's placed inside of you by his Holy Spirit? You're not. You want to be who God has called you to be? You want to live that abundant life that he has created you for? then you have to keep your mind focused on him. And then why? Why do we do this? Because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now these are all things that we have studied, but there's this one phrase, who for the joy that was set before him. What is that joy? What was the joy that was set before Jesus that he would be nailed naked to a cross, taking on our sin, dying in our place. What joy could possibly make that worth it? You. And me. That was his joy. I have a theory. You heard this theory. There are a few of you who weren't here last time I talked about it. I have a theory. Jesus was on the cross for six hours. Why? He didn't have to be on the cross for six hours. He could have been nailed to the cross. The sin of the world could have been placed on him, and then he chose the moment of his death. That could have been done in five minutes. Why six hours? I've never, there's no answer in the Bible that I know of. But this is my theory. It's not in the Bible. It's just conjecture on my part, but it's a theory. What did he do for those six hours while he suffered? I think the billions of people who have come to know Christ as Savior, who will spend eternity with him in heaven, that images of their face flashed before his eyes. That was the joy set before him. I can't prove it. It's just a theory, but I want you to consider that. Because at some point in time, he came across your face, and he said, you're worth it. He came across my face, knowing everything I would ever do every sin I would ever commit, every mistake I would ever make, every time I'd lose my temper, every time I would lust, every time I would pick something with a lie. Every single one. And he said, Jason's worth it to me. These nails in my wrists, the humiliation, the pain, Jason's worth it. Now, 
put your name on it because so am I. So are you. That's the joy that was set before him. And as a result, Philippians 2 talks about this greatly. He was then sat down at the right hand of God. Now, I want to make this connection to verses 3 through 11. That we will probably go through a little quicker. So let's read it, and then we'll dive in. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him, for whom the Lord loves he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So let's consider verse 3 and 4. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. I think that's really interesting. We are called to consider or contemplate Jesus. We are called to compare what he endured, the hostility from sinners, to what we go through so that we don't become weary or discouraged. So he obviously endured great hostility against himself for us. As we read and study the Gospels, we see that Jesus went through beating, mocking. He was lied about, blasphemed, tortured, and crucified. Right? He went through a lot. But we can look at that so we do not become weary, the word is faint, or discouraged, so we don't break, so we don't, aren't destroyed, so we do not fail to complete our race. It's a cool word. When we know and understand what Jesus has done for us, what he endured on our behalf, this should strengthen us. And by his grace and strength, we should know that he is holding us and will not let us fail. Psalm 145, verse 14, tells us that the Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Because we go through it, guys. You know that, I know that. We go through a lot. We don't go through what he went through. But we go through a lot. We deal with a lot of things. We go through struggles and difficulties. And, and maybe, maybe it's something personal. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's psychological. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it has to do with somebody who, who we love who betrayed us. Or maybe it has to do with difficulty at work or a financial problem. Or, right? We can make a long list. And what does God tell us? And this is just one place of many that he says stuff like this. But the Lord upholds all who fall. When we are looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Yeah, we might stumble. 
Yes, we may fall. We may struggle. We may have lapses in faith. But what is he going to do? He's going to pull us back. That's what he does. He raises up all who are bowed down. And then he makes this comment, because you have not yet resisted the bloodshed. Paul is essentially telling us that we have not stood against sin in such a way that our blood was shed or that we died. And this is true for most of us. I don't know. Anybody here been killed for your faith? Yeah, probably not. Uh, if you have and you're still here, I really need to hear that. I want to know what happened. That'd be kind of cool. Um, right? We all have endured great difficulty. There have been many who have come before us who endured great horrors for their faith. But none of us, none of us have stood and gone through what Jesus went through. His suffering was the ultimate. And so because of that, we're then exhorted in verse 5 to not forget the exhortation which speaks to us as sons or as his children. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respects. How much more should we readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For in they indeed, for a few days, chastened us to seem best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we are given this exhortation to not forget that we should not despise the chastening or discipline of the Lord. We shouldn't be discouraged when the Lord rebukes and corrects us. Why? Because he only chastens the ones that he loves. And he only scourges the ones that he receives. This is quoted from Job chapter 5, verse 15, and Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. So let's unpack this a bit. We endure chastening from God because we are his children. Human fathers chasten their children, and children should respect them. Should we mu not much more respect God, being in subjection to the Father of Spirits? See, when I was a kid, I was always very afraid of my father. His chastening was never for my good. It was always out of his anger always out of his anger. And it took me a long time to learn that this is not the way God treats us. See, a lot of people in the world, and I don't know if, if anybody in here besides me has seen this, but a lot of people in the world get their image of God based on their relationship with their human father. And some people had amazing human fathers. Their fathers loved them and encouraged them and supported them and cared about them. And so that's the image they have of God. Some of us, not our experience. And so even when I was a kid, before I became a Christian, and then even after I became a Christian, my view of God was directly related to my relationship with my father. So I looked at God as waiting, right? He was just waiting for me to mess up so he could scream at me or beat me. Is that who God is? 
Not at all. Not at all. I tell you what, though, um, I didn't respect my father. I never mouthed off to my dad. I wasn't that dumb. So how much more? How much more should I receive the chastening of God when it's in his love and because of his compassion and his great desire to do what is best in our lives? Right? It says human fathers chasten us because they're trying to do what's best. Well, that's the hope anyway. Um, and when God chastens us, it is always for our profit. It's kind of a cool word in Greek. It's sumfers. I probably pronounced that wrong. But it means our advantage. It means so we can be better for it. Now, my dad never chastened me to help me improve. It was just to keep me in line or because he was angry. God has chastened me oh so many times because he wants me to be better. He wants to transform me into the image of his son. He wants me to live a life that honors him. And he wants me to live a life that will benefit the people around me. Because that's my calling. That's all of our calling, by the way. But in that, there's times well, you know, when I don't do things right. And God has to go, uh, <clears throat> no, not that way. Oh, there's been a few times he has spiritually smacked me around. There's been a few times I've endured physical consequences from my own stupidity. It happens. And God allows that to happen because he wants us to learn. And he wants us to grow. Why? So we can become partakers of his holiness. The word for partaker is metalumbano. Metalumbano. Say that three times fast. It means to participate in, accept, or to receive his holiness. I like that. Because it's not our holiness, is it? We are partakers of his holiness. He wants us to participate in his holiness. He wants us to receive his holiness. Right? We know that everything God does is good. Psalm 73.1. And that everything he does in our lives is for our good. Romans 8.28. And these things are true even if we don't understand it. Even if we don't understand the situation. Even if we are struggling. Right? Have you ever been mad at God? I've been mad at God. There have been times in my life where I'm like, God, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't like it. This is bothering me. I'm struggling with it. I can't stand it. Why, 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 why? And then he'll, in his word, or by the still small voice of his beautiful Holy Spirit, will say, I have a reason. Trust me. But God! No. Trust me. But you don't understand! Yes, I do. I understand. Trust me. In times past, I used to argue with him a lot more than I do now. Don't get me wrong, I still argue sometimes. But in times past, I used to argue with him a lot and I've learned, sort of, not per, I'm, I haven't learned that, you don't have to, I'm good, uh, right, right, it's not about, um, I'm not challenging God, I have nothing left to learn, oh yeah, I do, I got so much left to learn, I promise, but one of the things that he has taught me so many times, which has made me a little better, not perfect, is that it doesn't do me any good to argue with him, and when I freak out, or I get frustrated, or I get angry, or I don't understand, or I don't like what's happening, 
I can stop and go, all right, what do I know? I know that you're good. And I know that everything you do for me is going to be good, even if I don't understand. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to try anyway. And I'm going to trust you. It always works out so much better that way. Therefore, when God chastens us, it's because he has some advantage in mind for each of us. And the main advantage is that we would become more like his son. See, so many people in this world are consumed with the idea of being happy. Right? Doesn't, well, doesn't God want me to be happy? No! I know that sounds harsh. He wants you to have joy. But joy and happiness are two very different things. Happiness, I often use coffee to illustrate it because it's a good illustration. Happiness is a full cup of coffee. How long does that last? Right? As long as it takes you to drink it. Right? And if you're anything like me, you have happiness brewing in the other room so you can go get some more. But happiness will always be situational. Right? You have a day where everything is great. You're happy. The next day, everything goes wrong. You're not so happy. But happiness and joy are different. Joy we have in the salvation that we have in Christ. Joy we have in the love that God has given us. Joy we have in the fact that we are adopted as his children. And I can rejoice in that even when I have a horrible day. I can rejoice in that even when the situation is saying I'm not so happy. And I dare you. I've read this book multiple times. I've never found any place in here where God said, I want you to be happy. No. I've read over and over again where he says, I want you to be holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5, or 3 through 5, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. What does he say there? What's his will? Our sanctification, that we are set apart from the world, that we are holy. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. What a picture. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. But how do we do this? 2 Peter 1, 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. How do we live holy lives? We get to know him. That's what the Bible says. We do it in his power that he provides. That's what we just read. We do it to honor him. Don't do it by ourselves. We don't do it because we came up with a great plan to live my best life. Now, I keep picking on Joel Osteen, but he deserves it. Um, no offense, I don't usually put people down, but Joel Osteen is a false teacher, and he's leading people to hell. Don't listen to him. I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, but it's true. Um, it's not about living my best life. It's about living his life. 
Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's not about your happiness. And don't get me wrong, I would love for you to be happy. I want to be happy. I know. Who, who doesn't? Happiness is fun. Happiness feels good. Happiness is temporary. And what God wants is our... He's over there somewhere. What God wants is our holiness. God wants us to be holy. And as I've said over and over, does that mean perfection? No. But that means in the power that he provides, through the knowledge of him, we can live a life of godliness. That's our calling. And he ends it. Chastening is never fun, right? It's painful. I know that. You know that. But it's not about the moment. It's about the outcome. Because the outcome of God's discipline in our lives will always be the peaceable fruit of righteousness. This is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. When we walk with the Lord and accept his loving correction. And it produces that fruit in those who are trained by it. I love the word train here. It's an Olympic term, actually. Because you know how they used to do the Olympics in ancient Greece? They would neck it. Now, I don't know about you. I've watched my fair share of wrestling in the day. If they were naked, I'd turn it off. I ain't watching that. But that's how they used to do it. The word here literally means to practice naked. But that's also really cool. Because we need to be naked before God. I'm not saying physically. Don't take your clothes off. Please. But we need to be naked before God. Right? He knows anyway. You can't hide anything from him. And so I've learned somewhat, not always, somewhat, I've learned to just go, here it is. I think I, I talked about this either last Wednesday or the Wednesday before. Um, sometime a couple weeks ago, I, I had this thought go through my mind that was horrible. It was just it was a bad thought. And I started praying, because that's typically what I do. And, and as I was praying, I'm like, Lord, I, I know this thought went through my mind, but, and I went, no buts. I was wrong. It was stupid. I'm sorry. Because why would I make an excuse for my sin? There is no excuse for, for sin. There just isn't. But I, I, the Holy Spirit caught me and said, uh, bless you. I said, no. No excuse. No justification. Don't try to make yourself look better. I already know what went through your head, so just repent. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. That should have not gone through my head. I was wrong. Because we need to be naked before him. We just do. And in a symbolic sense, before one another. That's what James 5 tells us. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. One of the reasons I enjoy being a pastor is I get every week an audience to tell you all what a screw-up I am. Thanks for listening. Right, but I don't, I don't hide from it. I know my sin. And I know that the only reason I'm saved is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's all of us. It's okay to tell each other. 
It's okay. We shouldn't hide things from one another. Now, I'm not saying that if you make a mistake this week on Sunday morning, you should come up and go, all right, everybody, I just want to let you know I killed somebody this week, but I'm sorry, right? We don't, you know, we don't have to do that. But, but you should talk to somebody. You should first repent before God, 1 John 1, 9, and then you should confess to a brother or sister so they can help you, so they can encourage you, so they can hold you accountable, so they can maybe help you with scripture or support you or, or help you figure out how to lay aside that hindrance. Because we're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to do this together. It's a scary word. It's a square word for some people. It starts with the letter D. Being vulnerable. And we don't like it. Anybody here besides me? Right? I've gotten better at it. But I still don't always like it. I don't always like to tell people what's wrong with me. You're going to find that anyway. And so, the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who are trained by it. How do we do this? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to know how to be trained by the peaceable fruit of righteousness, you got to be in here. you got to study his word. I cannot tell you, I mean, it's got to be I mean, maybe in the tens of thousands at this point, but how many thousands of times there's something going on in my life, something that I'm not laying aside, something that I'm toying with, that line that I'm just getting too close to, and I get into the word, Yes, sir. Because he tells me and he shows me. But if you're not in here, how are you going to listen? Just a thought. Luke 640 says a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. As followers of Christ, our goal should be to become more like him. The word disciple in the Greek carries with it a very cool definition but it means to be an apprentice right it's not just that we follow after him it's that we are learning to be like him i love that let's close i think it's important to note that the lord's chastening is required for us here's my connection when we do not lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares. Or we don't run with endurance the race that is set before us. Or we don't look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In other words, when we are not following after the Lord, the way he has called us to follow him, that is when the chastening of the Lord comes into play. That's the connection. God says, I want you to be holy. If you're not being holy, he's going to say something. God says, I want you to be more like my son. If we're not growing to be more like his son, he's going to step in and deal with it. God tells us, I want you to lay aside everything that's going to hold you back. When we don't, he will step in and do something about it. Why? Because he wants to punish us for our mistakes? No. But because 
We are not following him. He, but we're following him in the way he wants us to go, the way that is best for us. He wants to get us back on that right path. This is what parents do who love our children. This is what God does because he loves us. And I know that's not always easy to see, is it? But it's true. I've had the joy, along with my wife, of raising three amazing kids. I give all the glory to God and 99% of the credit to my wife that they've turned out the way they have. Everything, all their bad habits come from me. But there were times, and I, I love telling this story because Hannah's here. Hannah's 19 years old. And in her entire life, I spanked her one time. I don't even remember how old you were, three or four. That's all it took. It's the only time she ever needed. I don't think I've ever even, like, disciplined you really since then. Like, I've never grounded you, taken it. Only took one time. She's smarter than the rest of us. <laughs> I'm throwing that out there. John, when he was little, man, I could spank that kid for the same thing five times a day. And he actually got to the point one time where he looked at me and said, that didn't hurt. <laughs> Guess whose son he is? <laughs> so Leah's kid. Uh, <laughs> no, he's my kid. Right? Because that's, I used to, when I was a kid, and my mom's probably listening. Um, my mom, I used to be so obstinate. What's the right word for it? Um, that she used to break wooden spoons over my butt and I'd laugh. <laughs> That's how bad I was. She would hit me so hard that the wooden spoon would snap and then I would laugh because she broke the wooden spoon. I wasn't smart enough to know that there were more, right? I thought that was it. The wooden spoon broke. What are you going to do now, right? Well, she had more. Um, but I, I, I was like, that's how bad I was. So when John did that to me, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> He's my kid, all right. But God doesn't do this because he wants to punish us. Because he wants what's best for us. Because he loves us. So I'm going to close with two questions. I always close with questions. The first, the greatest thing that we need to lay aside is our resistance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if there's anybody listening, anybody here, anybody online, or anybody who listens to this recording later on who has never let down that wall, who has never come to faith in Christ, believing in his death and resurrection and repenting, of your sin, today is the day. Right? If you've never done that, do it now. Why wait? Then you can, like the rest of us, enjoy God disciplining you. For our good, of course. Right? I'm painting the right picture, aren't I? Come to Jesus so Jesus can take care of all your problems. We can look at that negatively, but it's also a very positive thing. All that garbage that, that is just wreaking havoc in our lives, he'll take care of. Oh, how beautiful. How wonderful. So if that's you, if you're listening online, right, you can go to our website, you can leave me a comment in the, in, on Facebook, I don't care how you do it, get in touch with us, let us help you. If there's somebody here, talk to somebody after service. Let us help you with that. For those of us who are saved, what's holding you back? Right? Now I always tell you, when I put these questions down, it always requires some self-reflection. It always requires me, okay, Lord, well, if I'm going to ask them, you know, is there a sin holding you back? Is there a fear holding you back? Are your eyes fixed on something other than Jesus? And keep in mind, I was writing all this down while I was having a panic attack leading up to my defense. 
I felt like the biggest hypocrite, right? Because what was holding me back? Fear. My eyes were focused on something on earth instead of something in heaven. I had to repent. But whatever it may be, let me encourage you to bring it to the Lord. If it's something you need to repent of, repent. If it's you need to adjust your focus, adjust your focus. Consider all that he has done for you. Know how much he loves you. And just take one step toward him and wash it away. And I love that. You remember when your kids were little, for those of us who had little kids, right? And right, you'd get all excited when they'd take their first step. But how long was it before they could walk across the room without falling? Well, it took a while. So what would you do? You would rejoice over the one step they would take towards you. And then you'd grab them before they hit their head on the coffee table. God is no different with us. He rejoices when we just take one step towards him. I don't know what that step is for you. I know what it is for me. This week revealed it in several places. But just take that step. It's beautiful. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your incredible love for each of us. Thank you for the goodness of God. Lord, thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your kindness. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. I pray, Lord, for anybody hearing this who has never surrendered their life to you. Father, just touch their hearts and work in them right now. And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, whatever step it is that we need to take towards you, by the power of your spirit, through the knowledge you give us of you in your word, help us to take that step and help us to encourage one another so we can take those steps together. In all things, may you be glorified in Jesus' name.